Well, I do want to welcome you this morning. My name's Jim. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just uh, it's just great to have you with us today. And if you're visiting with us, I hope that you won't remain a stranger, that uh, we might see you again. We'd love to have you be a part of our church, or at minimum to receive ministry from this church. And if there are ways that we can serve you, we'd love to hear about those. In your program this morning is a... Uh, <clears throat> A Bible reading plan. One of the things we want to challenge our church to do this year is to read through the Bible uh, in one year. And some of you have heard about people that have done that and you've thought, oh, I could never do that. But uh, this is a real simple plan, five days a week. And so if you, you know, if you miss a day, you can catch up over the weekend. But um, I want to challenge you as, uh, as individuals and as a congregation uh, to read through the Bible in this year. Well, During this season of Advent and Christmas, uh, we here at LifePoint have been approaching the, the story of Jesus through four songs. First of all, the song of Mary in Luke chapter 1, and then the song of Zechariah, who would be the, become the father of John the baptizer. You may have heard of him. And in uh, Luke 2, the song of the angels, uh, who were with the shepherds on the night before Jesus was born, the night that Jesus was born. Today we light the Christ candle because Christ the Savior is born. You know, we've, uh, we've heard a lot during this season about Jesus. Um, and, and in the scriptures that we have read and in the songs that we have sung, um, we've rehearsed those uh, during this season and certainly this morning uh, among those messages that Jesus' coming was anticipated by the Old Testament law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 4,000 years ago, his coming was anticipated. And then in the Old Testament prophets, they they detailed in, in amazing detail who he would be, where he would be born, uh, what he would be like, what his purpose was in coming. And so we learned that he would be born of a virgin, um, that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, that he would be born in Bethlehem in Judea because he was descended from King David would one day rule on David's throne forever. That day is coming. The entire course of human history was changed by his coming. And you remember that Mary and Joseph were commanded by the angel, each one of them individually, that they should name their son Yeshua or Jesus, which means deliverer or savior because... He would save his people from their sins. They gave him a name that fit his mission. The angels confirmed his identity to those shepherds out in the field outside Bethlehem. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And so they did what the angel suggested, and they went to Bethlehem. They found everything just as it had been told them. Old Simeon 
uh, in the temple. When Jesus was about 41 days old, this, this old gentleman in the temple in Jerusalem, as Mary and Joseph came to present Jesus to the Lord, their firstborn son, said of him that he would be a, he was appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and as a sign to be spoken against. He would attract incredible opposition. What we tend to hear less of during the Christmas season are things said by Jesus himself. And of course, there's a reason for that. He was just a baby. But in fact, none of the gospel writers report a peep from Jesus' mouth for another 12 years. So would you fast forward with me for just a moment, 12 years later? It's written in Luke 2, beginning of verse 41, that that his parents took the family up to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. So it wasn't fall or winter, it was spring. But the story reads like the plot of Home Alone, only in reverse. The family sets out for a a road trip for the Passover holiday, uh, but they didn't leave Jesus at home in Nazareth. Just the opposite. So when they departed Jerusalem, after the feast of Passover had ended, they joined a caravan heading back to Nazareth, to the north, into Galilee. And and when they were a day out (laughs) from Jerusalem, they discovered that Jesus was not with them. He was no, they checked throughout the caravan and he, he just wasn't there. Now imagine this with me for just a moment. You've been entrusted by the God of the universe <laughs> with the care of his son and you've lost him. <laughs> you've lost him. And to bring it even closer to home, those of you who are parents, imagine being a day out from a vacation in the big city and realizing that your pre-adolescent child is left somewhere in the city and you have no idea where. And so they're terrified and and they return to Jerusalem and it says that they searched desperately for him for three, count them, three days. Up and down the streets of the city. Have you seen our son, Yeshua? He's about this tall. Sidelocks, black hair. A handsome boy, a good boy. Have you seen Yeshua? And I imagine that some of the answers they got were, lady, there's a Yeshua on every block of this city that fits that description. Three days. And when at last they found him, he was in, of all places, the temple. And he's sitting among the elders of the people. He's sitting amongst the teachers of the law. And he's listening to them, and he's asking questions. And they're asking questions of him, and he's answering them. And Luke says that all who heard him, that is Jesus, were amazed at his answers. Twelve years old. 
when his parents saw him, it says they were astonished. And that's a nice translation of that word. It really means flabbergasted. It means exasperated. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I remember getting lost in a few department stores when I was a kid. And my mom said it quite differently. She said, you nearly gave me a heart attack. Here in his reply, we read the first, the very first words from his mouth that are recorded in the Bible. He said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That it behooved me, that it was obligatory, that it was appropriate to who I am and the reason that I came for me to be in my father's house. So if we could change the the words of the song just slightly, Mary, didn't you know? Didn't you know? And the answer is no. (laughs) She did not know. And neither did Joseph. And at the moment, they understood neither what was happening nor his reply to their question. Luke puts it quite plainly in verse 50, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Well, think about this, because it tells us something very important about why Jesus came. And I think it may have the effect of reframing our understanding of of what his parents, Mary and Joseph respectively, actually understood or did not yet understand of what his life would really be all about. But in verse 51, we nevertheless read that from that moment, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. That verse, verse 51, may be one of the longest verses in the Bible. And you say, why? It's, what, 26 words. Yes, but it begins when he's 12 and it ends when he's 30. (laughs) And during those 18 years, Luke wants us to know he was a model son. So fast forward again with me, if you will, to Jesus' 31st year on earth. And hear the next recorded words from his mouth, which he spoke at the beginning of his public ministry. Now, after John was arrested, this is Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. See, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, What he was saying was that in his arrival, the kingdom of God had also arrived. The kingdom of God had drawn near to them. Indeed, the kingdom of God was now here. Heaven was invading earth. And then in the remainder of Mark chapter 1, Jesus gets right to work. We read in chapter 1 that he healed a man, first of all, with an unclean spirit, that he healed 
Simon Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, that he healed people with a variety of diseases. He delivered many who were oppressed and possessed by demons. He even cleansed a man who was afflicted with uh, what at that time was a dreaded disease, leprosy. What was Mark's point in including these just after Jesus has said, the kingdom of God is now here? In all of these, Jesus was demonstrating the presence of the kingdom of God by revealing his own power, his own sovereign authority over both the material world and the spiritual. And of course, the news spread like wildfire. Why wouldn't it? Right? As his reputation grew, so did the crowds who were clamoring uh, to see him, to hear him, uh, to receive healing from him, to be delivered by him. And, and, and Mark tells us that Jesus, it was, so, it was so intense that Jesus couldn't even go into any town openly. And so he hung out in rural areas. And that proved to be true even in his hometown of Capernaum. In Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, we read this. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. And guess what? The news got out. And it says that many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. People were crowded into his house, people were crowded around his house. And to understand what follows, you need to understand this about houses in those days. They were, they were built with stone walls. They would usually have some kind of wooden flat roof. And, and on top of that roof then was put all kinds of organic debris and, and clay and tiles And there was often a stairway that went up to that roof, or a ladder in some cases. And so Jesus is in the house, and he's preaching the word to this crowd of people. And down the road came four intrepid guys (laughs) carrying their friend, who was a paralytic. And they wanted to bring him to Jesus. They wanted Jesus to heal their friend, to to allow him to to move and to walk. But they couldn't get close because of the crowd. And and so they were not going to be denied. They, They went up on the roof and they began to remove the roofing material. It's one of my favorite stories, really, in the Bible, because I picture these. It says that there were scribes there, maybe Pharisees, sitting in their black robes, looking very serious and religious. <laughs> and and all of a sudden, something falls on one of their heads, right? And then something else. And, something, and finally, the roof just caves in. And they look up and they see four smiling guys waving down. And then they proceed to lower their friend, probably on ropes, I don't know, down into the house, right in front of Jesus. And I imagine that there was a big, huge smile on Jesus' face. Just at the audacity of the whole thing. But 
audacity driven by faith. He says when he saw their faith, he said something that just shocked, surprised, startled all of them. He looked at the man, the paralytic man, and he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And so the religious leaders who were there, the scribes, the Pharisees, began questioning in their hearts. And it says, who does this guy think he is? He's blaspheming. He's a heretic. And here's the the 64,000 million billion gazillion dollar question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's the question they asked. And I imagine in his mind, Jesus says, I'm so glad you're asking the question. And so he, he says to them, why, why are you questioning these things in your hearts? Which is easier? Which do you think is easier? To say to this paralytic man, your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Oh, which is easier? It's easier, isn't it? To say, son, your sins are forgiven. Why? Well, because talk's cheap. You don't have to prove that. And they knew that. And so he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and walk. And guess what happened? He rose immediately and picked up his bed and went home. I saw a you know, a, a, a movie portrayal of this, and the man walked very stiltedly for a little while. I don't think he probably did that. I think he was miraculously completely healed from that very moment, that he stood up on strong legs and his body just began to move entirely freely. And we read then that they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they said, we've never seen anything like this. See, somebody wrote that Jesus did the miracle they could see so that they would know that he had done the other one that they could not see. The healing verified his claim to have the authority to grant forgiveness. See, Jesus was aware of the man's need. He understood the need. He saw the need. The the need for healing. But he also saw, and he perfectly understood, the greater, indeed, the very greatest need of his life, which was that his sins would be forgiven and that he would be reconciled to God. And you may wonder, I want to encourage you and ensure you today that God knows, he sees, he understands the needs you experience in your life. He cares about your health. He cares about your wealth. Uh, your employment, your housing, uh, the well-being of your marriage and family. He cares about all of those things and more. He's concerned with the nitty-gritty details of your life. But those are not the reason that Jesus came. 
Jesus was clear in defining that reason. On one occasion, he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. On another occasion, he said, speaking of himself, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. But listen especially to what he said to the people in another one of the crowds that gathered everywhere he went. It's recorded in chapter 6 of John's gospel. For I have come down from heaven. And oh, by the way, who says things like that? I've come down from heaven. A lunatic, maybe. Or a liar with some agenda. Or possibly someone who actually came down from heaven. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. May I repeat that? For this is the will of my Father. This is, this is what God wants for all of us. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I, Jesus said, the Son of God said, will raise Him up on the last day. I came this morning to let you know that Jesus Christ is God's one and only provision for the predicament of your sin. Your separation from him, your rebellion against him by, by the, the one sacrifice he ultimately offered on the cross. He made final payment in full for all your rebellion against him, all of your apathy toward him, all that you have done and continue to do that offends the holy God. And God is inviting you this morning on this Christmas Eve to look on the sun, not just the baby in the manger, but the Christ on the cross, and to believe in him, to transfer your trust from whatever else it is you're counting on for your eternal destiny to him and him alone and the sacrifice that he made for you at the cross. And he promises to everyone who does that the free gift of eternal life and one day resurrection on the other side of the grave. Well, we've heard a great deal about Jesus and now we've heard some very important words from Jesus. I wonder this morning if there's anything that you might like to say to Jesus in response. Maybe you'd just like to say thank you, Jesus. Or perhaps you'd, you'd like to look to Christ and, and his cross and say in the quietness of your heart this morning, I believe in you, Jesus. I'm, I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus. And maybe you'd like to add, please forgive me of my sin. The blood that you shed on the cross, would you apply that to my life? The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. 
that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. It's possible that you might want to say to him, you know, I, I don't really understand all of this yet, but I, but I want to, and I want to know you, and I want to know that you will one day welcome me into heaven. Or maybe what you want to say to him this morning is, God, I, I know that the life I've been living is not the one that you intended for me. That I'm not living the, the kind of life that, that you hoped for for me, intended for me, when you first thought of me. And I want to turn away from my sin and live a life that's pleasing to you. But I can't do this on my own. Please help me. You might want to say, I, I don't really know how to pray. Well, maybe you'll let me help you with that this morning. You could pray this simple prayer with me or after me. In the quietness of your own heart, God, I confess that I've sinned against you and that I deserve nothing from you. But today I'm believing in Jesus as my Savior Thank you for sending him to die in my place on the cross and to rise again from the dead. I sincerely and humbly ask you to forgive my sin and to give me the gift of eternal life. There's so much I do not understand about you, but I do understand that my sin has separated me from you, that I'm on a path to eternal separation from you, eternal death but that your son Jesus is the only Savior. Come into my life, change me from the inside out, and help me to live a life that's pleasing to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, here's what I want to say to you on the basis of God's promise, that your sins are forgiven. Uh, You have the gift of eternal life. What a great Christmas gift that would be. And I hope you'll receive it today. I hope that you won't miss the opportunity. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this Christmas season, for this Christmas Eve. And Lord, may we remember why you came. May we take it to heart. May we respond in faith and in obedience that we might be reconciled to God through you, Jesus, because of the cross, not on the basis of anything we've done or anything we've deserved, but only on the basis of your great love, your mercy toward us, your grace that is abundant toward us in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.